0: Hi family, welcome to Woodland Church tonight, and thanks so much for joining us either here or online. We're so glad that you're with us tonight. Uh, In our midweek study this evening, we're going to be talking about how God heals us of guilt and shame, and uh, I hope that you've downloaded the app and that you've got the notes and you can follow along with us and uh, take a lot of notes. Now, I don't know that I'm going to finish this tonight because we're going to stop at seven o'clock, so we have uh, time for those of us that are here to to ask questions and talk and then have prayer together. But um, tonight, our students are meeting, our children are meeting outside, and uh, they have a lot of events going on, and I hope that you'll consider real soon. I talked to some young parents this week who called me, and they said, Pastor, we're almost ready to come back. So I just want you to know we're looking forward to your coming back, and we're still sanitizing everything. I got to ask these questions, so I thought I'd just let you know we're still sanitizing everything we still have six foot separation between the pews and we're asking everybody to observe all of the safety procedures and precautions for good reason. And um, I believe that it's safe. You just have to make that decision whether you're ready to come back and join in us. And uh, we need that togetherness. We need that coming together and um i don't want you to just you know stay at home because it's easier to stay at home on the sofa i'd rather you do that than not participate at all but i really want to see you and your children your students all back here together at Woodland Worshiping. And while I'm talking about that, could I remind you to be faithful with your tithes and your offerings, especially don't forget missions and our benevolence. And you can do all that by either texting to give or go to our online uh, website, and you can click give there, or you can mail a check here to the church or whatever. But I hope that uh, you'll remember to be faithful with your giving. Listen, there is something supernatural about giving. When you tithe... You unlock the windows of heaven upon you. There's just a principle that God has established there. Just like planting your seed in the soil will produce a harvest when you're faithful to God with your obedience. Obedience is always the key to prosperity. Uh, It's a sermon that I've preached over and over. It's a sermon that I've lived over and over. Obedience is the key to prosperity. We live obediently. We can trust God to move and bless in our lives. Also, I want you to help me remember our senior citizens in prayer. Uh, They're going through a particularly challenging time right now. And maybe I should say because, you know, I think they say people in their 50s are senior citizens. I don't even think of myself that way. And I'm in my mid-60s. However, our elderly, maybe that's what I need to say. Our elderly really need our prayers. I talked with one of our elderly folks this week. And they haven't had a call or a visit from one of their family members in over two weeks. And friends, that just ought not to be. The family of God is a family, but also if you have elderly parents or aunts and uncles, be sure you call them. Be sure you check upon them. That's a godly thing to do. Well, join me in prayer right now, and let's ask the Lord's blessings upon our Bible study this evening. Father. We love you. We thank you so much for your amazing grace. We thank you for, Lord, your presence with us. And we thank you for the answer that we have right here in the word tonight of how you deliver, and how you heal us from guilt and shame. I pray especially for those that are elderly tonight, Lord, we are to honor them. We are to respect them. We are to give them the deference that they are due. And so I pray that you will help us, Lord, to be good sons and daughters, as well as members of the family of Christ. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, amen. And I hope you said that at home tonight as well. Well, I've talked to you before about our dog named Zach, but I want to talk to you again tonight about our dog, Zach. Zach was a good example of what I want to talk about this evening. I don't know if your dog is like this or if you even have a dog, but when Zach had done something wrong, when Zach had done something bad, Zach couldn't hide it. Whenever I came home, Zach would beat the kids to the door. He was barking. He knew about what time I should be home. He would be barking, he'd be jumping all over me. But if I happened to come home early in the day and he had done something he shouldn't have done, like grabbed a shoe or something like that, he wouldn't come see me. And then when I'd call Zach and I'd go looking for him, his tail would be down between his legs. He would be looking down and I'd look at what he'd done. I'd say, Zach, what have you done? And he just kind of sulk up and sulk away. You know, I think a lot of Christians tend to struggle and live like this. We let our lives become consumed with guilt and shame. And so, what we've been talking about for the last two weeks is how God heals us of our guilt and shame. Because when we're struggling, With things inside that cripple us, we need healing from that, just like we need healing from our bodily diseases. Now, I often tell people, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, I'm grateful to be able to walk. I'm grateful to be able to to do what I'm doing here tonight. But hear me on this. My greatest healing was not a physical healing. My greatest healing was the healing that God did on the inside of me. I don't care if you call it inner healing. I don't care if you call it healing of the soul, healing of the emotions. I just want to use biblical terminology to talk to you about how God heals us on the inside. But I think we have to start where all of the problems and issues in life comes to. There's a lady that I admire. Her TED Talks have gained over 10 million views. I have read a couple of her books, but she and I have a parting of ways in some things, Because I don't think she fully recognizes the the reason for shame and the reason for guilt in our lives. I'm not calling her name specifically because I do think her books are really helpful. But I hope that what I'm teaching you tonight will help you, if you happen to pick up one of those books and read it, to separate the bone from the meat you know it's like when you're eating fish you know you, you take a risk that you're going to get a little bone in there and you don't stop eating fish because of that you just get rid of the bone but in her thinking and in her ted talk she said that there was no place for shame in our life there is a place for godly shame so let's talk about what brings shame and what brings guilt into our life my fallen nature tempts me to commit sin And that's important to know. My fallen nature tempts me to commit sin. There's so much scripture about this that what I want to do is direct you to Romans chapter 7. If I was to read you the whole chapter and all the verses pertaining to this, so you might want to write out to the side of your notes, Romans chapter 7, then I wouldn't have time to teach you tonight and then for us to have the time for prayer and conversation later on in our message this evening. Now, when we sin. When, we, when our parents, Adam and Eve, sinned, the first thing that they experienced was guilt. And they experienced shame because of their guilt. They hid from God. They tried to cover their nakedness. They didn't know that they were naked. And um, that's another subject for another time. But they dealt with guilt and shame. And when God confronted them, they began to blame others. The issue with Zach was he had nobody to blame but himself for chewing up my shoe. He had nobody to blame for chewing up a piece of furniture, you know, and, you know, you need to get Becky to talk to you about that sometime. You, you, you just have, he had no one to blame but himself. I guess if he had been a human being, he would have said, well, you shouldn't have left that shoe out and then I wouldn't have chewed it up, or you shouldn't have had that s- stick of furniture there that just looks so delicious and like I needed to gnaw on it. You see, we're always tempted to blame somebody else. I love what Rita Mae Brown said. She says, "'Leave me not into temptation. I can find the way myself.'" And don't you find that to be true? I, I, I've thought about that many times when I pray, "'Lord, lead me not into temptation.'" You know, I think what the psalmist is, excuse me, what Jesus is really teaching us how to pray there is God deliver us from temptation, deliver us from those things that come into our lives. And so there's a part of my nature I have to recognize. Now, listen to me carefully. There's a part of my nature I have to recognize. I'm born again. I'm being set apart daily for God's use. But there is a part of my nature that is tempted to sin okay? That's the reason that I have safeguards on my computer. That's the reason I have safeguards on my phone. That's the reason that my wife and my children, any of them can access my phone or my internet to, to look at. I, want, I don't ever want to dishonor God. My prayer partners can ask me questions. You know, I don't want to dishonor God because I know there's a part of my nature that's tempted to sin. One of my pastor friends, pastor's a wonderful congregation, a small congregation, and they decided to set up their own uh, website. And I think this is hilarious. They set up their own website and got it up and running. It was on a free hosted website. And he called, he says, go to my website. He was so excited. Go to my website, take a look at it and tell me what you think. Well, I went to his website and on either side of their church's website, in the Assemblies of God church's website, there were two girls dancing in bikinis And so I just picked up my phone and I called him. I said, you know, I can guarantee you're going to get a lot of attention, but not the kind of attention you want right here. And so when I told him, he goes, oh no. So they took their website down. Here's the deal. I don't need any help getting into temptation. You don't need any help getting into temptation to commit sin. Romans chapter seven makes that clear. And I'll make, I'll try to get back to that at the end of the message. Secondly, when I sin, my guilt serves a useful purpose. My guilt serves a very useful purpose. In that classic book, Whatever Became of Sin, Dr. Carl Menninger wrote these words. In all the laments and reproaches made by our seers and prophets, one misses any mention of sin. Is this in your notes, this quote? Okay, it is in the app, if, just in case you want to know. In all the laments and reproaches made by our seers and prophets, one misses any mention of sin a word which used to be a veritable watchword of prophets, it was a word once in everyone's mind, but now it's rarely if ever heard. Does that mean that sin is no longer involved in all of our troubles? Sin with an I in the middle, think lowercase s, lowercase n with a capital I, does that mean sin no longer with an I in the middle? Is no one any longer guilty of anything? And the author that I was referring to just a few moments ago, and I recently talked to a peer of hers that I've established a relationship with, and hopefully one day I get to meet this author, but established a relationship with. We talk on the phone, you know, maybe once a month now. Friends, sin is the problem. When we sin, then we feel convicted. If we don't feel convicted, if we don't feel guilt and shame, That should be a warning to us. In the book of Zephaniah chapter 3 and verse 5, the Bible says, The wicked know no shame. The wicked know no shame. And that theme runs throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 2, Paul's writing to the Corinthians about some of the behavior going on in their church. He said, You are so proud of yourselves. They were so proud of themselves Because of how they were treating sin. And Paul writes to them and says, you should be mourning and sorrow and shame. Now here's the issue. Guilt and shame are meant to point us to the cross and not cause us to run from the cross. Guilt and shame are meant to cause us to know our need for forgiveness of our sins. The third thing I want you to see here tonight, and this is how God heals us of our inner conflicts. Whether it's doubt, whether it's inferiority, whether it's uh, insecurity, it all begins to stem from this. Godly shame restores, worldly shame destroys. Godly shame restores, worldly shame destroys. Now, in the Bible, I love reading the Old Testament. And I know a lot of people don't read it like they should every day, but there's a picture of how the high priest goes in once a year into the Holy of Holies and there before the Ark of the Covenant he makes a sacrifice for his sin and the sins of the nation of Israel. So I want to back up because maybe you're familiar with that, especially if you're watching a midweek Bible study. And it's one of the reasons I love midweeks is because typically the people who participate in these studies, they're more familiar with the Word of God. Well, imagine this. All year long Everybody can come so close to God, and then they have to stop. There's a barrier between them, between the high priest and between everybody else. And there's only one person out of all the men and women who come to the temple. There's only one person out of all the men who are able to go into uh, the, holies, the holy place. There's only one person that can get beyond that veil, and he can only get there one time a year, and there find forgiveness for his sins and forgiveness for the sins of Israel, but nothing changes. They still have to offer the sacrifices every day. They're still guilty of the same sins. It's a temporary arrangement. Imagine what that must have been like. I don't want to just be okay today. I don't want you just to be okay tonight when you leave the service. I want you to be transformed and I want you to be changed. Imagine if I came to church and you know I felt real good. I I had a a pastor this week contact me and he said, you know, I listen to your messages every Sunday. And he says, listening to your messages, he said, they encourage me, they lift me up, they build me up. He said, I feel so refreshed after listening to them. I'm glad of that, but I don't want people just to feel refreshed. I want people to be renewed. I want people to be changed. I took my car this week to be washed, got it washed, got it vacuumed, got it looking really good, got out on the road, and by the time I got home, I had hit some road construction, I hit some other stuff, and there the sides of my car were already dirty again, does anybody know what I'm talking about in here, we live in Michigan, okay, in Michigan, you know, it's just, you know, especially in the winter time, you get your car washed, and you pull out the car wash, it's dirty all over again. You could just keep circling through the car wash without ever leaving the parking lot because the car is always going to be dirty. Well, church shouldn't be like that. Coming to the Lord should not be like that. God saves us, God cleanses us, and God also forgives and heals us on the inside so that we're not always needing a washing where we can walk in a newness and a freedom of life and heal from those inner conflicts. Paul recognized this. He said, oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Boy, that is a dismal verse of Scripture. What a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Maybe it's because of what I do. But I hear for every great call where people are doing well, I hear from someone else who's going, oh, pastor, I am so miserable. Sometimes they're in the church. Sometimes they're not in the church. This is my life every day. Paul says right here, who will free me? Well, what does godly shame do? And that's where we have to begin. Number one, godly shame arises out of a knowledge of God's commands, his mercy and grace. There are many people who are wrestling with guilt and shame that haven't crossed the line and given their hearts to Jesus yet, and they don't know. A psychiatrist or a popular author is telling them on YouTube there's no reason to be ashamed. There's no reason to feel guilty. And yet, they find themselves like Mrs., like in Macbeth, do you remember when she, the queen just kept washing her hands saying, out damn spot, out damn spot, and she couldn't get it out of her hands. And it's because of what she had done. There's only one thing that can heal us and free us from our sins. First of all, we have to have the knowledge of the Lord. Look at Hebrews 4:16. Let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Let's come boldly. There's a couple sitting over here to my right. Once a year, they invite me to a fish fry at their house. Now, when I come into their house, I am not shy. I am not bashful. I open the refrigerator if I want to open the refrigerator. I open the cabinets if I want to, and I eat. As a matter of fact, I do something that Becky doesn't let me do at home. I sit with the man while he's frying the fish, and I am the official food sampler out there. I am checking out all that fish while he's frying it. I come boldly to their house. Now, if I don't know you and I come to your house, I'm not going to come in that boat. I'm not going to the refrigerator. I'm not going to, the, to the, the cabinet. I'm definitely not going to try the food without, you know, until you put it on the table. But what God is saying here is that, look, there's no longer the need for a high priest to come into the Holy of Holies. There's no longer a need for once a year to get this forgiveness, but then you're going to walk out and you're going to be like my car leaving the card wash. You're going to be dirty all over again. God's saying, come boldly and there you will find mercy and you will find grace to help you when you need it most. I need God's mercy and grace when I fail. I need God's mercy and grace when I sin. Sin will drive you insane. Let me say that again. You may want to write that out to the side of your notes tonight. Sin will drive you insane. This is what God did. God made this is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. So what does God do with our guilt? He took our sins, as you've heard me say now, for about three weeks. He put our sins upon Christ. He sees us through Christ. Once we trust Christ for what he's done for us at Calvary, he sees us through Christ. Godly shame then secondly helps me evaluate with a mind transformed by the good news of Christ. Godly shame helps me to evaluate my life, my decisions, my words, the sermons that I preach how I treat my wife, how I treat my family, how I treat my neighbors, the body of Christ. Godly shame helps me to evaluate with a mind that is transformed by the Word of God. You see, the lost person that hasn't given their heart to Christ, their mind has not been transformed. Their lives have not been changed. They are still dead in their trespasses and sin. They know what's going on, in their lives that something is wrong. Romans 1 describes that descent into sin. So Paul says in Romans 12, he said, So, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you, give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and a holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is the true way, truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know what God's will for you is, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Now look at this passage with me for just a moment. First of all, you have to do something. You have to give yourself to Christ. God's convicted you. God's laid his hand upon you. You feel something you know is not right. Paul struggles with this in Romans 7. I'll get to that towards the end of this message. He's struggling. He says, oh, miserable man that I am, who will deliver me? He's going to answer that. But before we answer that, I need you to know tonight, you've got to do something. You've got to surrender your life to Christ. Let it be like a living and a holy sacrifice. God wants you to live. He doesn't want you to die. He doesn't want you to die in your trespasses and sins. He wants you to live. And he says, this is the way to worship him. I love to sing. I love to come to church, lift my hands and sing. I love to pray with people. But it seems that what Paul is saying, our true worship is, is not how we sing in church, not how we pray in church, but it's how we allow God to transform us into a new person Knowing what God's will is and then living that will of God out in our lives. And he says, it's good, it's pleasing, and it's perfect. For years, for years, I have talked about a cake. It's been probably 30 to 40 years since I've had that cake. I've talked about a cake that my Aunt Jeanette used to make. Yesterday was my birthday, so when I got home last night from, from the, the office here at the church, when I got home last night, my family had a birthday dinner waiting on me. And they, we had a nice dinner, but then at the end I had to close my eyes. And I haven't seen this cake in 30 or 40 years, but my wife months ago started calling family members to try to get the recipe for this cake And I opened my eyes when she said, you can open your eyes. And I recognized that cake immediately. And the first words out of my mouth was, my Aunt Jeanette's cake. I had no idea that that was coming. Now, here's what I want you to know. When you see the will of God, you're going to see that it's pleasing, it's good, and it's perfect. You're going to know you were created for holiness. You were not created for what sin will do to your life. And that's what Nehemiah excuse me, Zephaniah meant when he said that those that are ungodly, they don't know shame. They have allowed themselves to become so hard and, and so brazen. It's why people can go around shooting children in the streets and not feel any guilt about it. It's why people can go around and 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 steal from their neighbors and not feel any guilt about it. You don't want that to happen to you. You want to lay hold of all that's good and beautiful. And you may say, as a Christian, you say, oh, I'll never do that. But it's possible that even Christians, because we don't live a fully surrendered life to God. That's what John Wesley was getting at. That's what John Calvin was getting at. That's what Martin Luther was getting at. We're not perfect, but we work every day at surrendering our lives so that we can discern and perceive what the will of God is. The third thing then that godly shame does to us is it chastises our egocentric lifestyles. It chastises our egocentric lifestyles where everything revolves around us. An egocentric person doesn't care about the poor. An egocentric person doesn't care about the elderly. An egocentric person doesn't care about their neighbor. All an egocentric person cares about is their needs and their comfort. And God chastises us for living that way. Because how can you say you love God when you don't love your neighbor whom you can see? Doesn't mean you always like your neighbor. There are a lot of people I don't like, but I still love them. You know, there are people who do things I don't like, but I love them. There's a big difference. And I've talked about that at length before. But you love people. If one suffers, look at this, in the body of Christ, if one suffers, everyone suffers. If one, one is honored, everyone rejoices. These Corinthians that should have been ashamed of themselves, the Christians that were well to do, they would gather and they would eat and they would drink and they would be merry and the poor among them had nothing to eat and were starving. Did they care? Not one little bit. Do they have any compassion in their hearts? Not one thin dime's worth. And yet they call themselves Christians. And Paul says, if you were really saved, your shame would convict you of this egocentric lifestyle. And it's the reason I can't understand why people won't tithe and give to missions. When God has been so good to us and has blessed us so much. I have been in countries... I have been there and seen the devastation when a government uses food as warfare. And they literally starve people into submission. We that have been blessed, we have the opportunity to bless others and see that they have plenty. And then godly shame produces transformation, righteousness, and peace. This is what godly shame does. It doesn't leave you stuck and wallowing. Okay? Now, back home, I used to love to go down and watch the hogs. I didn't want to get into the pen with them because they could be mean. But those hogs loved the walla. And sometimes when I'm back home and I, I go to one of my uncle's farms, he's got a huge farm and I'll run through the farm and And then sometimes I'll go get a four-wheeler and I will drive back through parts of the farm. I can find where the wild hogs wallow out. And every once in a while we have to bring trucks and dogs in and we round up those hogs and we get them carried out of there in South Georgia. But here's the deal. Sometimes people will wallow in their sin or wallow in their shame or wallow in their guilt rather than allowing the Holy Spirit to produce the transformation the righteousness, and the peace. Transformation, God's making you a new person. Righteousness is where you live right before God and right with other people. There's nowhere I'm ashamed to go with to meet people because I know I'm living the way I should with people. God also brings peace. I'm at peace. I will lay my head on my pillow in a few minutes and I will sleep like a baby. I'll wake up at 4.30 tomorrow morning. I'll be energized because of the peace of God that's in my heart. But it hasn't come without a cost. Okay? Nobody likes to hear that. It hasn't come without a cost. First of all, we've got to do what the Scripture says. We've got to submit ourselves. We've got to give ourselves, present ourselves as living sacrifices. I forget the cartoon. Who, wrote, who did the cartoon I saw one time? And the cartoon was a chicken came to a pig and says, you know, let's help the children out of the orphanage. I'll give some eggs. You give a ham. And the pig said to the chicken, for you, that's an offering. For me, that's a sacrifice, you know, but that's literally what God does is calls us to give ourselves away. And so here's the cost. All discipline seems to be more pain than pleasure at the time. Yet later, it will produce a transformation of character, bringing a harvest of righteousness and peace to those who yield to it. i tell you what, I want to take you to this growth work real quick. Number one, when you know your sin, confess your sin. Blaise Pascal said, when you know your sin, confess your sin. Blaise Pascal said, we can only know God well when we know our own sin. And those who have known God without knowing their wretchedness have not glorified Him, but glorified themselves. That's what the Corinthians were doing. What you and I want to do, we want to confess our sin to the Lord. This is why David prayed in the Psalms. Put me on trial, Lord. Cross-examine me. Test my motives and my heart. Number two, don't stagger under the weight of your sin. Run to Jesus. You're not like those people that kept coming to a barrier. But you have come to the very throne room of God. The blood of Jesus is upon the mercy seat. You run to him and you plead for forgiveness. You say, Father, forgive me. You don't have to beg. You don't have to cajole. You don't have to persuade. You just agree with God and say, Father, forgive me. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Do you know how many people have come to me through the years and says, Pastor, I can't bear it any longer. I said, what do you mean you can't bear it any longer? And then they pour out the story of this weight they've been carrying. Literally, it feels like a weight on their shoulders. It's in their heart. It's a, it's a conscience that's been pricking them and convicting them. They've been living with shame for all these years. Do you know how many people, as they've gotten close to death, have said to me, Pastor, will you help me call so-and-so? Will you help me talk to so-and-so? Why, in the name of all that is holy and good, Why live your whole life staggering under the weight of that sin when you can find forgiveness and freedom and transformation and peace in Christ tonight and live free and come to the end of your days with that righteous life that you want to live before the Lord. Confess to the Lord. And if you need to make restitution or go to somebody and say, forgive me or whatever it is. Make sure you, you seek out some counsel, godly counsel on how to do it. Number three, become a part of a trusted community. And the reason I believe so much in small groups is because it's important to have one to sh- someone to share our stories with. Someone that knows us inside out. Share each other's burdens. And in this way, obey the law of Christ. We have a saying here at Woodland. And in the 22 years that I've been the pastor of this church, I have never known it one time to be violated. If it would... I would deal with it severely. There's n- you need to understand, I would deal with it severely. I don't know of a single instance where someone has violated what we have, we have said from the outset. What happens in a small group stays in a small group. Because people need to know that they can trust. People need to know that they can share. People need to know they're not the only ones that have sinned. You look around that small group. And if even if I'm in that small group, this message applies to me just as much as it applies to anybody else in this world. That's the reason I make these points so personal. Number three, be patient with yourself while you learn and grow. Here's the principle: first a leaf blade pushes through, and then the heads of wheat are formed, and finally the grain ripens. <laughs> you know, you've got to grow. You're going to grow. If you're a new believer tonight, you're going to grow. One of our new believers came to see me maybe just a few months ago, and we talked about a, an, an issue he was facing. I said, do you realize this is progress? The very fact that you're not comfortable with this in your life, this means you're growing in Christ. And he goes, do you really think so? And I go, yes. And I have permission to share that with you. You know, I always ask, this is a great example. Can I share this as long as I don't use your name? And he go, yeah. I said, this is pro- the fact that you're not comfortable with it means you're growing in Christ. Paul says, look, I've not achieved it. I focus on this one thing. I forget the past. I look forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race, and I receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling me. Now, don't just read that. Look at me. Those of you in here tonight, look right here at my eyes, because I want to look at this camera, too. Don't just read that and think, for some reason, that Paul's just saying this. Over 500 people saw Christ after his resurrection. You know that. Almost every place that Paul went to, there was probably somebody that lost a family member that Paul had participated in their death and their execution because they followed Christ. And you don't think that when he got there and he met someone who came to him and says, Paul, it was my father, it was my brother, it was my sister that you had arrested. You don't think that troubled him? You can see that stream of thought running through the epistles. And yet he knew the grace of God and the mercy of God, but he also understood it in community because the church and the apostles, they gave him that covering that he needed. There's no sin too big for God to forgive or for the church to forgive. And then finally, be patient with other people. They've got to learn and they've got to grow too. And I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it's finally finished on that day when Christ Jesus returns. Now I told you, I'd come back to it at the end. Let's look at this. and I'm just going to read it and then we've got to pray. Paul says, this is back in Romans 7, this is before Romans 12, I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. It's kind of like today. I promised myself I would only eat one slice of my Aunt Jeanette's chocolate cake when I went home for lunch. I had two slices. I have no guilt about it either. (laughs) But here's the point. I knew I only needed to eat one slice, but I ate two slices. There's a lot of things in life that we find ourselves sometimes going, I know I shouldn't. But if we do, here's the rest of what he says. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. If I get a chance to talk with this author that I opened up with tonight, and I didn't want to call her name, I have made a contact with a friend of hers. There's only one thing I want to say to her You're almost there. The difference is the reason. You can live without guilt and shame is not because you're not guilty or not because you don't have something to be ashamed of, but because Christ bore our sins to the cross. There is no longer a barrier between us and God. We now can all come, and there's no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. I hope that's helped you tonight. I hope that's encouraged you. And um, I want us to pray together right now. Would you? Join me in prayer. Father, thank you so much for the amazing grace of God that, Lord, salvation is truly the beginning of inner healing. Salvation is truly the beginning of a change in our lives. And, Lord, as we go further into this and we look at how you free us from guilt and how we can tell a different story to ourselves rather than the story of shame, I ask you to help us to grow and learn to tell the same good old story that's always been told in the church. The story.